Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Good morning. You guys are amazing. You can be seated. So excited to be here and honored to be here. Second service, there's no countdown. The kids are fine for hours. We are totally just going to milk this. Listen, I'm a mom of three, so that second service flow, you got free babysitting right now. You know what I'm saying? So let's just God move and extend this service for hours so we could all get lunch after. Um, I love being in Lathrop, (laughs) the thriving metropolis of Lathrop. I, um, I was telling my friends, I'm not originally from California, so I'm not super familiar. I've been here for a long time, but not from here originally. So I was talking to some friends born and raised in California. I'm like, they're like, where are you going this weekend? I said, Lathrop. Where? What? I said, oh, is it Lathrop? They're like, I don't know. I've never heard of either. I'm like, Lathrop, you know, it's the bay. They're like, no, it's not the bay. I had friends who are from the bay. They're like, that's not the bay. I don't know what you're talking about. And so first couple of times I'm like, oh, okay, maybe you just don't know. So then I was talking to an, uh, a friend of mine and, and she's like, she's like California has the, Calif- she believes for government change, has the California flag in her office. Like, and I just assume she knows every city in California. You know, she prays for California. She goes, where are you going this weekend? I said, Lathrop. She's like, where's Lathrop? So eventually I asked my assistant, Jamie, I'm like, is Lathrop real? Like, are we, did you follow up with Chris? Is that really a church that's happening? And I'm here and there's a Target and a Chipotle. So we got it going on in Lathrop. (laughs) Putting it on the map. Thrive Church is putting it on the map. I love hearing about what God is doing. I think there's something really special happening here. Um, the, the new building, the new renovation is so amazing. Well done for everybody who sowed and invested and prayed for this. You're just living in the fruit of it. And I think you're just getting started. So it's been such a refreshing time. I just want to um, honor pastors Chris and Vanessa for having me. And aren't they doing a wonderful job? Are you guys grateful for your leaders? You're in a great house. All that to say, you are in a great house. Daughters Conference was amazing. The women, I said this in first service, the women were hungry. I have the incredible privilege of preaching to a lot of different churches throughout the year. And you can just tell when there's a pull on heaven. And I really do feel that in your community. You guys are pulling on heaven. And the word says, when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so you feel that nearness of God in this house. And it's just so incredible. Everybody that I, t- that I talk to, the dream team, your guys' culture, I mean, you're just, just Give it up for your house, guys. You're doing a great job. I, I took my, my, uh, my oldest nine-year-old, Lucy, is here with me. She is amazing. My oldest of three. And we went to the restroom in the lobby, and we walked in, and I for just instinctively, you know, it was just involuntary. I go, oh, my gosh, these bathrooms are beautiful. And the things you notice as an executive pastor. And she goes, that's an odd thing to say about a bathroom, Mom. I said, you'll get it, honey. One day you'll get it. This bathroom is beautiful. Facilities are gorgeous. I'm the executive pastor at a church called Jesus Culture Sacramento, just about an hour and 20 minutes away. Um, I've been, I was the youth pastor there for about eight years, stepped into the executive pastor role in 2022. And my husband is the worship pastor. His name's Derek Johnson, and we've got three kids. And we're just so excited to be a part of what God's doing in the earth. And we feel so humbled and grateful to just partner with him. So let's open up the word today. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to Exodus chapter 17? 
Exodus chapter 17, we're going to read a story there in just a moment. I'll give you a moment to, to turn there or go in there in your phone app. Uh, you are allowed to use your Bible on your phone if you give full permission to your neighbor to smack you upside the head if you just happen to wander into another app on accident. So you got to give that neighbor, you say, full permission. If you see me crawling over to my bank app or, or my text messages or I just happen to open up my email because I, I thought the word of God was in there. Uh, <laughs> slap. Um, the more that I pastor, the more that I realize how much we need a generationally connected church especially youth pastoring. If we're going to, if, when I was youth pastoring, it just was so evident. Oh, the younger generation needs the older generation. But the longer I'm in ministry, I'm realizing it is also true, vice versa. The older generation needs the younger generation. And God's been putting on my heart. You could take this away for just a minute so they could hear this amazing uh, intro that I have here. Um, we need a generationally connected church. If we want to see revival in transformation, two words I have heard in my weekend here, you guys are crying out for revival in this city and you want to see transformation. You don't want information. You want transformation. We want to see the lost saved in cities and nations transformed. This is the call of God on our lives. And if we want to see that, we have to have a generationally connected church. Now listen, it is one thing to have generations in the room, which I see, it is a whole nother thing to have generations aligned. Generations working together, generations connected. Anybody married can tell you, we can be in the same room and not be connected. You could be sitting next to the younger generation and not be aligned with them. And you could be sitting next to the older generation and not be connected to them. But we need each other if we're going to accomplish the plans and purposes of God. And it is difficult to do that and to fully embrace that because we are just living in a naturally divided world. Amen? We're divided. There's divisions among us that are neither good nor bad. They just are. There's, there's the, the division of gender. We've got male and female. There's the socioeconomic divisions. There's racial divisions. There's political divisions. Dear God, we saw that in 2020. Like we are just living in a, there's divisions. And then we have the generational divide. And I believe the generational divide is one of the deepest divides because that separation exists within all the other separations, right? We're divided by our age. But if we are going to be the example to the world of unity, which we are called to be, the world is trying to define unity for us. The world is trying to set the standard, but we know as the people of God, we are called to set the standard. We're called to live out. Jesus defined unity. God has the perfect picture of unity here. And we're called as the church to be the example of that to a lost and hurting world. And if we're going to be the example of unity, we have to go after this issue of generational disconnect. And we have to show the world what it means to be generationally aligned and connected. We need to be unified in all things. We need to be racially unified. You know, we need to be unified and learn to work together also in the generations. And so this is why I love Exodus 17. I'm going to take you there because it's a powerful picture of generations working together. I'll set it up real quick. The Israelites have left Egypt they were oppressed. God's people were oppressed in Egypt. Moses comes, let my people go, right? And they have left Egypt and now they're walking through the wilderness 
towards the promised land. Well, when they left Egypt, you'll read in the stories, there's some details. They actually plundered the Egyptians and God sent them out with a lot of stuff. They had gold, they had robes, they had silks, they had pottery, they had all this stuff. And so imagine a group of people right? Hundreds upon thousands of people walking through and they have stuff. And so they're a target to enemy nations and people want to attack them. And they actually have several battles in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But this battle in Exodus 17 is the first one. How many of you know that firsts are important? How many of you understand that God uses the first of a lot of things in scripture to set a precedent and tell us something? So this being the first battle that the Israelites will face, there's something, there's lots of important details we need to look at here. So that's why we're in this story. This is their first battle in the wilderness and Moses, their leader, tells a young man named Joshua some specific instructions on how to win this battle. Exodus 17, now you can throw it up there, verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. It's the battle at Rephidim, and the Amalekites are attacking the Israelites. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. This is a really good picture of generational alignment. We have Moses representing the older generation and Joshua representing the younger generation. And and he's leading the fighting while Moses goes on the mountain with Aaron and her and he holds the rod of God in his hand. That rod can be, you know, symbolically theologians say it's it's a symbol of intercession. Moses is holding the rod of God. He's holding up intercession over Joshua and the young men as they fight. And as the battle goes on, Moses's hands go down. And when Moses's hands go down, they begin to lose. So that's what's happening in this story. So the two men come and they say, we're going to support your hands. You keep that rod up while Joshua and the men fight. I think it's interesting, if we could just pause for a moment, that God sent reinforcements to Moses. Naturally, you'd think, If they're losing, the reinforcements need to be on the battleground. The reinforcements should be to those who are doing the fighting. But God sends reinforcements to the old guy on the mountain. God sends reinforcements to Moses and they hold his his hands up. John Wesley says, Moses' hands contributed more to their safety than their own hands. It's a picture of God's people. It's a picture of the generations working together. What Moses and the older generation was doing was so important that that's where God sent the reinforcements. It didn't matter if Moses was out of position. It didn't matter what Joshua did on the battlefield. And so the generations worked together to bring about this victory. Joshua could have all the swords. He could have all the the strategy. He could have all the, the battle formations. But if Moses didn't have the reinforcements, there was no victory. It was the generations working together. When generations, why are we talking about a generationally connected church? Because if we're not a generationally connected church, we won't have victory. 
If we're not generationally aligned, if we don't work together, we will not have victory. And this is the pattern we see throughout scripture. The heart of God is for his generations to be connected to each other to accomplish his plans and purposes in the earth. So we need each other. The generations need each other. We only get this victory right with the generations connected. We see uh, Moses goes and he tells Joshua some things. Joshua is his, his successor. He's going to, he's the younger guy that's come up under Moses. And it says that, that Joshua did as Moses said to him. So we could just get into it right now. Selah. If you are younger in this room and you are struggling in life, it's probably because you're not listening to the older generation. Tia Becky's in here about to whoop somebody. Some of you young people are struggling in this room and you're in a rut. You're a young adult and you're like, I don't know what is going on. I'm in a cycle and I can't break free from it. And my question to be would my question to you would be who are the older people in your life that are advising you? Oh, I've got people telling me what to do. Are you listening? Joshua did as Moses commanded him. We need a younger generation with listening ears. The older people love me right now. Give me five minutes. I'll be speaking to two groups of people, okay? I'm going to speak to the older generation. I'm not saying you're sitting here. And I'm speaking to the younger generation. No, you can't get up and change seats. <laughs> I'm not telling you which generation you're in. I'll let you decide that. I'm not going to make any more enemies, right? So I'll be speaking. We're just going to go back and forth this morning. Older generation, younger generation, you decide which one you're in. And so we need a younger generation with listening ears. This is what begins the victory is that Joshua is looking to Moses and he's saying, okay, I will do as you tell me. Now Joshua is younger. Joshua is in the trenches. Joshua is probably more familiar with battle strategy. Moses is like 8,000 years old. However, Joshua does not disregard him as the old guy who's just going to sit up there with hold, holding a stick. I'll go and handle this battle and I'll do it my way. I know what we need to do. There was none of that. He listened and he did as Moses commanded him. And then the older generation, we have Moses. And when he got tired, he needed assistance. And, and God sent reinforcements to him. I will thread this needle carefully, understanding my age. I have so much honor for those that are older than me. I have the utmost respect for those that have gone before me and have wisdom that I do not have. I need the older generation. I submit, I honor them. God has commanded us to do so. But there is an older generation who is getting weary and tired. And rather than taking the reinforcements God is sending you and keeping your hands up for the younger generation, you've walked away, you've disengaged, and you've gotten disconnected. It is this, is this, well, fine, just do it your way. You want to figure it out? Okay. You're not listening. I don't understand you. You think I'm irrelevant. I'm so frustrated. I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't pray anymore. I'm not believing anymore for the next generation. Some of us, even it's our own kids. We're so frustrated with our own children who are living in rebellion and are maybe prodigals that you're just tired. And let me tell you today, God wants to send reinforcements and see your hands go back up because that younger generation... That younger generation is getting 
obliterated on the battlegrounds and we need an older generation connected and engaged with their hands up saying, not on my watch, I'm praying over you, I'm covering you, I'm for you, I'm believing in you, I've not lost hope for you, I write your name on the salvation wall, I put your name in my prayer journal, I'm asking how you're doing. I'm not getting frustrated and disconnected. I won't let you flounder in your own stupidity and mistakes. I am over you. And God's sending those reinforcements. Whatever it is, you need encouragement. You need reminders. You need refreshment. The Holy Spirit to empower you. God wants your hands to go back up because this is how we see victory. Because how many of you know all the work that we do in church for the next generation? And this is a church that values next generation. I can tell. Pastor Matt is doing an incredible job. But all the work we're doing in kids' ministry, all the work we're doing for summer camps and conferences and youth groups and generations tonight, all of that work is pointless if we don't have an engaged older generation to connect them to. We want to see revival in Lathrop. We need a generationally connected church. But we have to understand that it's, so we need that, but it's difficult and we can be honest because the requirement to connection is humility. We need humility. If we're going to see generations aligned and connected, we need humility. So, so here's where this comes in, you guys. Joshua he doesn't disregard Moses, right? There's no, there's no pride and arrogance. And he probably had every right to say, I don't know if you really know how to, how to advise me here, old man. But in humility, it was humility that was required for Joshua to say, I will do as you tell me. And what, what's happening is we have a young generation and, and the temptation is to look to the elders and say, you're so out of touch. Do you even TikTok? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know our lingo. You don't understand what it's like. You're so out of touch. You're so irrelevant. You can't use your phone. How could you tell me what I need? How could you advise me? You don't know what it's like. It's arrogant. It's pride. And then just as much, we have an older generation looking to the younger going, when I was a teenager, it was baggy pants, right? I don't understand. Your pants are sagging. It's your butt's hanging out. Now, then the pants went too tight. Then we went skinny jeans and your pants are too tight. Can you even breathe? You got sausage legs. Like, you know, we don't, I don't understand your music. I don't understand your social media. I don't understand your lingo. What's sus, bro? Like, I don't know. You're not listening. So an older generation in the same spirit of pride and arrogance disconnects and walks away from a younger generation. And then we wonder why they're losing. We wonder why young people are leaving the faith and getting disconnected and deconstructing and won't engage in church. And we're just letting them. And so we have to deal with the issue of pride and arrogance. Wherever you find disconnect, you find arrogance. It's this mindset of we just don't need each other. We don't need each other. The younger generation, I don't need the older. The older generation, I don't need the younger. And we just do this. We cannot accomplish the plans and purposes of God for your life individually or corporately if you're not connected and in humility working with each other. It is just arrogant to think we don't need each other. And a, a, a beautiful picture, actually, I want to take you to Esther. You don't, you don't have to go there. It's a really quick verse. But a beautiful picture of the humility required from both generations is in the story of Esther, if I can find it here. In the story of Esther, Esther chapter 2, verse 11. So what's happened is, um, 
Oh, I should have marked it, huh? Um, what's happened is Esther's this young Jewish girl. She has a purpose. She has a, a, a call of God to save her people. God wants her to save the Jewish people. Um, they're on the brink of genocide, and she's going to approach the king. So there's like this, this plan of God that he has laid out, and Esther is chosen. We love the verse, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And Esther, if I die, I die. It's this beautiful, dramatic picture. But what's happened is, is Esther is in process of getting um, accepted to go before the king, and her uncle Mordecai is advising her. Mordecai is much older than her. And at one point in the story, she has to go through kind of this beauty ritual that was culturally appropriate before going before the king. And Mordecai is the one advising her about like what spices and oils to rub on herself, you know, is be like the equivalent of telling her how to do her makeup. And what you see is Esther is leaning in and she's doing everything that Mordecai tells her to, even when it comes to the beauty treatment. Girls, come on. Like, I got to think, I don't know if I would be taking beauty advice from like my 85-year-old uncle. I'd be like, <laughs> if that were today, I think I'd kind of be like, you know, ill, Morty. <laughs> like, Uncle Morty telling me how to contour. I don't know telling me how to do my highlighter and how to make my eyes pop, like putting lashes on me. Like, I don't know if I would be humble enough to go, you know what? I'm going to lean in and take your advice and allow you to help me in this journey towards my destiny. She had to operate in humility. And you got to think about that. A young girl submitting to this older uncle in beauty advice even and everything else that she prepared. And then, so there's humility on Esther's part there. And then you have Mordecai, and there's this really beautiful verse, Esther chapter two, verse 11. And it says, she gets to the king, she's getting into the, she gets in. And, and now she's in, in the process of confronting the king. And Mordecai knows what she's called to. And it says that every day he paced in front of the courts to hear of Esther's well-being. Every day he's pacing to hear how she's doing. You know what he didn't do as the older generation? He wasn't jealous that maybe his time had passed. He wasn't jealous that she was going to go farther and further and be more known than he. He wasn't frustrated with her. He wasn't trying to hold her back. He was leaning in. Can you imagine the victory we see in the kingdom of God if we had a generation of Mordecais pacing at the doorstep of the destiny of the younger generation? How's summer camp going? Does anybody need a scholarship? What do they need in kids ministry? How can I serve? I don't really like teenagers. They annoy me, but I'm going to get in there and be a small group leader. I'm going to open up my home. I can donate some snacks because I care about the next generation. I'm pacing in front for their well-being. I'm praying for them. I'm leaning in. I'm asking how I can serve. This is a picture of humility. It's Esther's fathering Mordecai's and Moses fathering Joshua's that saves nations. But that requires humility. It requires humility to do that. And we just have to fix this on, on both ends. It's a call to both people, to both camps. You know, God's command to you, younger generation, his command is that you honor your father and mother. Don't get all triggered with your mom and dad wounds. I get that. There's an inner healing ministry. Chris will pray for you after. It's honor the older generation. 
Honor them. And what we could do as the younger generation is say, I'll honor them when they earn it. I'll honor them when they deserve it. I'll honor them when they prove they're honorable. No, no. I'm sorry. You're a heretic. Honor your mother and father. That is the command of God. He ties honoring the older generation to long life. You're not going to like this, and then you will like it. He says, honor your mother and father that it may go well with you and your days may be long on the earth. God doesn't play. He's like, you don't want me to snatch you up out this earth too early? Honor those that are going before you. Do you know why he commands us? Do you know why he puts that command in there? Do you know what that's connected to? That's actually scientific. Young people, I love you. You do not have all your brain. Scientifically, you do not. If you are under 25 in this room, your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. Do you know what your prefrontal cortex is responsible for? Common sense. Do you know you do not have common sense? That's not someone insulting you. That's someone schooling you. You don't have any common sense yet. The part of your brain that connects my actions to the results is not fully there. So God, who made you that way, who knows you, who created that brain and laid out those neuron pathways, God said, hold on, while you're young, you don't have all your brain. So you're going to need something. I'm going to build in a command to bless you, protect you, sustain you. You know what you need? You need to honor those that are going before you. You need moms and dads in your life. You need covering. You need spiritual authority. And you need to listen to what they're telling you because you don't have all your brain. And the beautiful thing is it's not an insult because we were all that way. I didn't have mine 15 years ago then. Like, don't get salty at me. I didn't create you. God did. (laughs) Young person, have you ever been asked, what were you thinking? Of course you have, because you've done something stupid. And someone comes along and they're like, what were you thinking? We can stop asking them that because now we know they weren't. I don't know why I did that. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know why I let that on fire. I just wanted to see what it would do. They... (laughs) They can't, okay? They can't. So they need you (laughs) in humility, moving towards them, saying, let me help you in humility. And so younger generation, covering, submission, community, mentors, elders, spiritual parents, if you are triggered when you hear those words, you better go do some work because God's not getting out. God's not going to let you off the hook. He's not going to change scripture to suit you. (laughs) And what happens is we'll just change our theology to meet our needs. We'll just change our theology like, oh, that's not really what that means. Oh, that's antiquated. Oh, I don't need to live. I don't need to operate that way. If those words, I just want to challenge you. If you're in the younger camp, I want to challenge you. If those words bother you, go and ask the Holy Spirit what's going on inside me. I need to go deal with that thing. I'm living outside of covering. I'm living with the spirit of independence. I'm in isolation. I'm operating out of arrogance. I don't have covering in my life. You want to be blessed? You want to prosper? You want to have it go well with you? Honor the older generation. They have something we need. All right, younger generation, take a breather. Here we go. We're going for the others. Do you know it's the heart? It's the older generation that moves first. 
Malachi 4, 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. It's the, heart of the, it's the hearts of the fathers that turn first. We can't wait for the younger generation to humble themselves and come towards us. As mature moms and dads, we move towards them first. And we understand. Often, you guys, what, is, what seems like arrogance is often just immaturity. What seems like rebellion is often pain. We get frustrated at a younger generation that doesn't want to let us in. They don't heed our advice. They don't listen. They're not seeking counsel. And rather than turning our hearts towards them and moving towards the disconnect first, we walk away. But you have to understand, some of them are just, they've built in self-protection. They've been hurt. They, I, I didn't grow up with two, a two-parent household. My dad left when I was five. And so I learned how to operate outside of a father. And then I get in the church community and I realize I need some fathers, but it's like, you don't realize it was like, you know, being born with uh, like walking on one leg, but you didn't, I didn't realize. I'm like, I didn't know I, I didn't know I needed two legs. I've just always walked this way. And so it wasn't rebellion and, and fresh, I wasn't trying to tell the older generation, I don't need you. I didn't know how to be a daughter. And it wasn't until mothers and fathers moved towards me in humility, moved over my walls of offense and self-protection and said, hey, we're going to pull you in into the family of God and teach you about a healthy family structure that my life was changed. I walked into this small vineyard church in the Midwest. I was 15, 16 years old just carrying shame, guilt, just oppressed, just struggling, fatherless, hurting. I walked into this church. I was there. Long story short, I, was, I got sent there. And at the end of the service, it was one of those small country churches where the pastor does like a recessional line, like a receiving line after a wedding where he greeted every single person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is weird. I'm going to have to hug this guy if I want to leave the building. You know, and he's just, and it's like, it's Midwest, you know, so they're like, they're all up in your business, right? They're like, you just, you, you get a hug. And so I'm kind of waiting at the end of the service. It was my first Sunday there. I'm like, I don't want to hug that guy. This is so weird. So I hid in the bathroom for a little bit and I came out and there was Pastor Jack still at the door. Like he knew, he was waiting for me. So I thought, okay, I had, I had strategically made sure I looked in, in a way that people knew I don't want to be here. And so then I put my headphones on. I brought my headphones to church. It was in the Walkman era. And so I, brought, I put my headphones on and I thought, I'm just going to look busy. You know, we didn't have cell phones, so I couldn't do the thing where you pretend you're on the phone when you see somebody at the store you don't want to talk to. Hi. Oh my gosh. So anyway, you know you do it. You do it at your Target in Lithrop. 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 What is it? Lithrop. So anyway, I put my headphones on and I thought, I'm just going to sneak by this guy. And so I get to the door and he wraps his arm around me and I give him the, you know, the teenage hug. They still hug this way. I found out teenagers. That did not change the, the stiff body hug. It's like, I call it the hot dog hug. They turn into a hot dog. <laughs> like what? What happened? So he hugs me, and I have my headphones on, and he pulls the one headphone off, and he says, "If you were my daughter." And I thought, I know where this is going. He's gonna say, "I'd be disappointed in you." He's gonna say, "I wouldn't let you wear your headphones in church. I'd make you dress differently. I would." I've heard this. I know where this is going. So my walls went up. He said, if you were my daughter, and 
And then he hugged me and he said, he said, I'd be so proud of you. And I thought, you'd be proud of me? Don't you see me? Don't you smell what, what I did a couple hours ago? Can't you tell that I don't want to be here? You'd be proud of me. It was a father turning towards a hurting daughter first. And you better believe that I found out anytime that church was having services and I started coming back. And then I brought my boyfriend, who's now my husband. I said, you got to come check this out. Like, these old people love me. I don't know why. And we started coming to Wednesday nights. And we started coming to Friday night prayer. And we started coming to both services on Sunday. And it wasn't the youth pastor. It wasn't a, a free pizza party and a, and a Nike dunk contest that won me over. It wasn't the, the youth that were reaching out. It was Cliff and Carol. It was Dave and Kathy Fevig. I can still smell the perfume that Kathy Fevig wore when she would hug me in her big floral silky shirt. She'd just hug me and her perfume and her lipstick would get all over me. I, could st I know what that perfume smells like because it, it changed my life, that embrace. It was Jack and Cindy. It was Garner and Mary. It was Sue and Terry. It was, they weren't famous. They weren't full-time pastors. They were volunteers in this small little church, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, that saw a hurting generation, and they reached out and they said, you're welcome here, come on in. Kathy, she got my number, she'd call me, Becky, where are you and Derek? It's Friday night prayer and we didn't see you. I'm like, Kathy, I'm at a party. She's like, you better pack up your bags and get to church. I'm like, yes, ma'am, I need to go get me a hit of that floral perfume. <laughs> And then if we'd walk in and we were a little late or if Derek wasn't with me, Cliff would say, where's Derek? Where's that rock star? He had this long blonde hair. He's trying to be a total rock star. He's like, where's your rock star boyfriend? We believe in you guys. We were not living the life that we, they knew what we were doing. We weren't, all, we weren't all in after God yet. We had all kinds of walls up. We had all kinds of defenses up. But we kept coming back to this church. The spirit of God was moving through the mothers and fathers that were turning their hearts towards us and said, we believe in you. We love you. You're welcome here. This is the picture of a generational alignment. We just, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. What Joshua's are out there on the battlefield, you guys, that are losing and they need your hands going up over them. And so let's just not accept this. This is what I want to close with. Let's not accept disconnected generations. Am I okay on time? I'm going a little over. Let's not accept disconnected. I think what's happened is we've just gotten comfortable and you just kind of accept it. We're in the room, but we're not connected. I'm a part of the church. I don't know what's going on in the youth group. I'm not, I'm not fully aware of what, they, what the kids programming is. I don't know who needs mentored. I'm in a church, but I don't know what kind of groups they have. I don't know who the leaders are. I don't know what kind of covering is there for me. We cannot in the family of God accept this. You know, every family has a culture and you've got, whether you know them or not, you've got rules, right? And you've got, a, you've got some do's and don'ts. And they have these cute little plaques now on Pinterest and, and Etsy that's like, in this family, we do hugs. Come on, you know, in a suburban family, especially. In this family, we do forgiveness. We do whatever. They have those, and they're kind of popular, and you can put them up. You know what mine would say if we got one? You'd walk in my house and it'd say, in this family, we do dishes. That's what we do. We do hugs, we do love, but we also do dishes. Because the kitchen sink, y'all, is not a cabinet. This is not a store. You store the dishes in the cabinet. 
The kitchen sink is not a resting place. This is not a laundry basket for your place. The kitchen sink is a transient place where you go, a plate goes to get rinsed off and then immediately put in the dishwasher. So in my family, dishes in the sink at night is a no-go. We're like, uh-uh, yeah, she, she feels me. And we do not let dishes sit overnight in the sink. We just don't do it. It's an unacceptable. In this family, you gotta have on the wall, in this family, we do generational alignment. We do not accept disconnected generations. It is not okay that we're not operating together. We just can't accept it because it is the privilege. It is the privilege of God to have generational connection. You know, it's the privilege to name a generation, you guys. Names in the Bible were important. They were important. They spoke destiny. They spoke identity. A name in the Bible was who you were, right? Jacob was liar, and that's what he was. And God knew, if you're going to walk in your destiny, I need to rename you. So Jesus renames Peter. God renames Abraham. The disciples named Barnabas. We under, they understood this. Your name means something. My children were named very specifically very purposely. Lucy, it means light bringer. Every time we call forth Lucy, we are calling forth her destiny. You are called to bring light everywhere you go. And she knows it. She'll get in the car after school. She'll be like, guess where I brought light today? I'm like, tell me, baby, where'd you bring light? My boy, Julian, his name means youthful. That's what he keeps us. We did not realize that's how that would manifest. He keeps us young. Julian is fun. And every time we, we call Julian, we're saying, youthful boy. And Vera, my baby, it's from the Latin word veritas, meaning truth. We believe she's called to pierce a generation with the truth of God. So when we say Vera, we're saying truth, come here. Listen, there are generations getting named by the enemy. That, that's the most Bible illiterate generation. That generation is deconstructing. That is the most depressed, anxious generation. That's the most social media addicted generation. That is the most divorced generation. You better get out there and start renaming a generation. I will not lose you to a depression and anxiety. You are a generation that is marked by the presence and power of God. Your generation is called to walk in healthy families. Your generation's gonna build the church. Your generation's gonna stand for truth. You're not a gender-confused generation. You're a God-fearing generation who knows. But you gotta get out there and you gotta name them because in the void of naming, in the void of naming a generation, someone else will. Someone else will. And here's the beautiful thing. No matter what age you are in here, you can go name the generation under you. If you're in fifth grade in this room, you know who you can start naming? Go get in the kids' ministry and start, start serving in those first and second grade classrooms. And start calling them out. Start telling them, you're a game changer. You're a revivalist. You're called to carry the word of God. There's no junior Holy Spirit. If you're in middle school, you can help out my daughter who's in fourth grade. If you're in high school, start serving in the middle school. Start mentoring somebody. If you're a young adult, get your hands dirty with those teenagers and start. You need group leaders. Ask Pastor Matt, where can I serve? And then it goes on. In your 30s, get someone in your 20s. In your 40s, pick someone up in their 30s. We are called to be mothers and fathers, lifting our hands of intercession session so that they see victory in their battle. Ask someone to coffee today. Just understand this. What often seems like disinterest and distance, there could be pain there, immaturity, lack of awareness. 
So you can take action today. Check in on someone. You know how many young people need financial advice? Like practical. How you doing with your budget? Can I help you? Can I tell you some things that have worked for me? Marriages are struggling. We tell our people, so many couples in our church will say, I need marriage counseling. I say, no, you need a small group. You need a marriage group. Now sometimes, right, there's extreme cases. But so often what we see is people on the verge of giving up in their marriages, they need an older couple coming in and saying, that's normal, you got this, here's what we've had victory in, and they need someone checking in on them. They just need they just need to get connected. I cannot tell you the amount of marriages we have seen saved, not from thousands of dollars of counseling and books, but from an older couple stepping in, saying, I'm gonna be like at Mordecai, pacing in front of the doorsteps of your marriage, making sure that you're doing okay. And in humility, moving towards one another. Could you guys stand with me? Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.